I think it's about time to um, say goodbye to a dear friend of ours. All right, let us bow our heads. Um, all right, he was he was a good guy, um, a very beloved mascot who jiggled his belly and jiggled into our hearts, and it was great that he broke the internet and gave Philly something to cheer about other than the destruction of their own town after beating the Patriots, and um, he was entertaining, and then he just wouldn't stop. He had a big heart, and it just... After a while, like, he just kept going, and then we'd laugh, and we'd celebrate, and just go, this guy's giving me nightmares, but he's also giving me hope, and so much needed laughs in a sport that, for a while, wasn't giving us much, especially if you're a Devils fan, um, so, it was a nice breath of fresh air, and they really hurt to have to admit that this thing that was giving me so much joy came from uh, an organization that I really don't like, so... At first, I thought I tolerated, and then I eventually loved. But like I said, Gritty had a big heart, a little too big, and wouldn't stop showing up to things that he wasn't actually invited to. Like if Bill Murray were orange and jiggled around a lot and wore hockey gear everywhere, but not as amusing because it would just be like, please leave, Gritty. <laughs> but he wouldn't leave. He would just stay. And continue jiggling his belly and then started getting into verbal altercations with other mascots and then kind of assaulting fans and we cheered it on and then after a while it was like this is too much he lived too fast he lived too hard and I, I wish things could have been different and I wish I had gotten to know Gritty but as the time went on sometimes you realize that no matter how much you love somebody sometimes you're better apart but deep down there's still a heart and I don't know who necessarily invited him to the Overwatch League. <laughs> but again, that's that's the guy Gritty was. He just he was just so full of life and love and he just loved so many things. And he would just completely disregard good manners and taste when people would cheer. Maybe what he was trying to do was show us that no matter if you were a hockey player or a baseball fan or a fan of esports. The spirit of Gritty lived in all of us. Just that love of life and abundant nightmare fuel. I, I'm sorry, this is hard. I'm sorry, Ash. Like, I, I I was really, like, it's really now choking me up that I realized that we had to kind of lay him the rest. It's, it's, it's not his time, Lord. Like, why did you take him? Chance. Whatever the hell the Blue Jackets mascot is. <laughs> what is his name? I don't know, but they could have taken him instead. Why, Gritty? Why? Why, Gritty? <laughs> Thank you. Um, if anyone else has anything to say, uh, please step up to the podium. Thank you. <sighs> oh, Gritty. We hardly knew you. <laughs> it's okay. Take your time. I know this is, this is hard, but remember, we're here for Gritty. This is, this is not about us. What can you say, really? He... He came into our lives so quickly and burnt out so suddenly and yet it felt like it took forever good lord <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sorry <laughs> it's, so, it's so hard I can't <laughs> well I didn't know him very well 
I knew him as well as, as anyone else on the internet did. He seemed to enjoy life and picking on Rangers fans and cheesesteaks. So at least we had that in common. And yeah, he did the Lord's work for a little bit. But it's time to put him to rest. Let some other mascots have a turn. Dude, like half the mascots have a hula hoop bellies. Come on, it's not even that cool. <laughs> R.I.P. Rest in power, Gritty. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? I'm glad that we were able to get that out because it was... Uh, it weighed on me heavily quite a bit. And I mean more heavily of the cheesesteaks because... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's about time to let him go. Because, you know, sometimes in life, you overstay your welcome. Kind of like old Republicans. over with anyway talking like a teen agent and ashley um which i guess this is our first episode like is this our non-pilot like first one or is this technically our second i know we did this once before and i wish i could remember but this beer is causing problems with memory we spent the last episode or pilot or whatever half of talking about christmas music so i know and i'm that's still that might have to be a great outtake because okay just to do a really quick preface we, well, we tried to figure out how long we've known each other. It's been at least, what, six years? I think that's what we figured, yeah. Ashley and I have bonded through our love of music and hockey, and most recently we realized we are way bigger fans of Tegan and Sarah than we ever really thought possible. <laughs> so for some reason we thought it'd be a great idea to do this bizarre podcast where we talk about all of those things, as opposed to being on guests of other people's podcasts and being really awkward about it. That was a pointed reference. I'm sorry. I, I blame this beer that I can't really name since they don't sponsor the show, but it is okay. <laughs> but about that last episode pilot thing, we had spent a, a little bit of time talking about which album was it? Rocksteady, no doubt. Uh-huh. And originally, I was going to make you listen to that, wasn't it? And then I was going to then listen to... Was it Heartthrob? Or was it was it Heartthrob, because I was jealous of your homework assignment. Right, and then I realized that was very terrible of me, so I decided <laughs> to ditch my own homework assignment, which actually would have been more fitting for the podcast theme, <laughs> and then decided, well, we're going to talk about Rocksteady instead, which, my god. I took six pages of notes. Holy shit. Okay, first <laughs> off, I want to... Wow. I want to get through some of these notes because what I have, I think, is not nearly as amusing of whatever you wrote down. So, by all means, please. So, what I sort of came to find out was that I don't hate this album as much as I thought I did. But the parts that I do hate, I hate a lot more than I remember hating. It's real bad. 
It's not great. It's no. It's real bad. To be fair, we both love the ever-loving shit out of No Doubt. Yes. Like, a lot. Yes. Like, a hell of a lot. Yeah. You know, and we've gone on, of course, talking about even, like, early pre-Tragic Kingdom stuff, which is, you know, it was then at a younger time, but still really fun. And Tragic Kingdom is one of the best albums of all time. Not even in the 90s. Of all time. Fuck out of here if you think otherwise. (laughs) But... Return of Saturn isn't necessarily my favorite, no, but it's a good, strong follow-up. Um, Return of Saturn is actually my favorite, so... Oh, shit, you, is it really? Yeah, for real. Okay, you know what? I can respect that, because it, it is a good album. Now, as far as back-to-back, hit after hit, like Tragic Kingdom, maybe not, but there's some solid bangers on Return of Saturn. Return of Saturn is, like, dark and weird and great. I love it a lot, but I completely understand why commercially it didn't do as well. Which is a shame. So let's start with a fun fact. Rolling Stone, I forget what year they put out the list originally, and then they revised it in like 2012. Um, The list of the top 500 albums of all time. So Rocksteady and Tragic Kingdom are both on that list. Tragic Kingdom is 441 out of 500. Okay. I feel like a gross misrepresentation of the album's awesomeness, but okay. Rock Steady is 316. No. Yeah. No. No. Yes. No, no, no. I'm not even going to argue about whether or not it should be on the list because I mean, I could, but I'm not here to, to rag on it. I'm actually trying to defend it. But there is no way. Really? Yes. Wait, did they at least list as to why? Like, is there like a blurb of some kind? Um, it. <sighs> It did some interesting things, especially at the point in time it was released. There are Beatles albums farther behind than fucking... Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scrolling, I'm like, that was Abbey Road. Come on, guys. (laughs) Really? Wait, hold on. The fact that two No Doubt albums are on that list is actually really cool. But... If you're going to put two No Doubt albums on the list, you got to do Saturn and Tragic Kingdom. I legitimately, honestly, don't think you need two No Doubt albums on this list. I think you but put you Tragic Kingdom on this list, and I think you're fine. Or put it on twice. Like, even if it was accidental, like, shit, we, we never really checked it, but fuck it. Fucking In Rainbows is later on this list. And like, another Radiohead? Beatles album. Yeah. And Amnesiac, which is... The best Radiohead album. Ooh, hot take. Yeah. Best Radiohead album is in Rainbows. Sorry. <laughs> I, have, I had no rebuttal for that. Like, I think you got me. I was like, yeah, but no. Well, what about Hail to the Thief? Like, nope, I can't even say that with a straight face. Oh, I like Hail to the Thief. Well, I do too, though, but it's not better than Rainbows. No, it's not. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like, you you were right. Um, you could make an argument, and I would allow you to make the argument that OK Computer is better than In Rainbows. Mm, no. See, the hipster D-back in me won't allow it to be better than In Rainbows. In Rainbows is my favorite. I was right, and you were wrong. It's not that. All right. Go on. Sorry, I was singing. Um, what the fuck band was that? New Year, Not New Year's Day. Was it New Year's Day? Are you asking me or telling me? I'm actually now going to think about it, because there was a song, and I was like, It me everything, Jocky. You say to me that I was right, and you were wrong, and they got, like, really angsty, and now they're, like, 
alternative metal. It's kind of badass. Like, they did a complete 180. Are you talking about SR-71? No. <laughs> no. Not- <laughs> I didn't. Okay, so I couldn't quite hear the song that you were singing. I was trying not to subject the public to my horrible singing. <laughs> Yeah, it was New Year's Day. Yeah, they were like one of those power pop bands from like the mid two thousands that I actually really liked a lot. Like, but you know, they kind of came up around the time after Paramore blew up, and you know, like they had some minor success that way. But then I think once they kind of fell off a little bit, then they kind of came back. But they're like this alternative like metal band. Like they're like hardcore aggressive and like goth the fuck out. <laughs> And it's actually really good because the music's a lot more just, like, in your face. And it's definitely not the early material. So, like, oh, shit, like, you could fight somebody to this music. (laughs) I'm sorry, we're talking about No Doubt. Yes. Okay, one last thing. That show's got to be really interesting because you've got the people that would go for the early stuff and then the people that would go now. And, like, that's just got to be a really interesting crowd. I don't know. I feel like they wouldn't even play the early material. Like, I feel like someone would yell it in the crowd, and they'd get, like, a bottle chucked at them. Yeah, but you know some dumbass would still go, right? Oh, I know. It's like being at a glass draw show. <laughs> like, eventually, you're gonna keep yelling the old material, and they're just gonna look at you like, uh, we don't play that first album, because one, we were in high school, practically, we made it into. It's wild problematic. <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. We're going to get through this. Back to the task at hand. I took notes for every song, so I don't know if there was a specific song that you wanted to talk about. or. Well, I'm going to immediately strike the singles off the record. If this were an EP of just the singles, you might have a really good album. Because I'm going to come out and say it. Even though it got played way too much, hella good, not a bad song. Even Underneath It All isn't a bad song. Underneath It All is like one of my least favorite songs on that album. But at least it fit a theme. At least it kind of worked with the idea of what they were going for. I what At least what I thought originally was essentially they were like, look, we decided to hang on Jamaica and get like ridiculously high and just drink a shitload of Red Stripe, which I think is actually what happened. Yes. So they're like, look, let's just make like our own dance hall reggae infused album. And not for nothing, being that they're... You know, a ska band, at least originally, not that big of a stretch. No. But then they decided to travel to other places that weren't (laughs) Jamaica. And we're also going to continue partying. But now we're listening to this type of music. Hey, famous producer from this area. Can you record music with us? You're like, all right. (laughs) But again, I don't mind underneath at all. It's basically what I'm getting at. Which is fine. I will argue that I actually would, if I had to take any single off this, I would actually have Hey Baby taken out and keep underneath it all. Musically, I like Hey Baby the best. The lyrics make it intolerable. But so the lyrics of Hey Baby, really? No one's talking about chamomile tea and fucking dance hall (laughs) reggae. Like, it's not happening. I don't. Rather than pass Bergy. Right. Running is the worst. The, the last single that they released, Running Wait, is the Worst. Running was a single? Yes. Running was the fourth single from that album. I, I guess that's a thing you could do. Yeah, I don't know why. But there's some weird songs on here. Like, it's... Oh, man. Like, I'm going to... Wait, like, let's go through your notes first, because I'm trying really hard not to just, like... <laughs> this was an experience. It was an experience. Um... Hella good. I just put live drumming, yay. 
And then the next note, all this panting is making me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why is there so much panting? Why is she panting? Is it like sex panting or is it just like, I think it's really warm in a studio panting. I think it's supposed to be like sexy panting. That's not a thing. Sorry. It's just not. As far as That's you're... almost as awkward as like when Bono had like a full blown orgasm and like that song from the Batman Forever soundtrack. Oh my god, the Batman Forever soundtrack! Holy shit! I don't know that I remember that song. Oh, what was the song? I actually really like that song a lot. Uh, Hold me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. Sure. I liked you too as a kid, but that was the song. I was like, this is weird. And he's talking about like turning tricks with crucifixes and shit. I was like, damn, Bono, like you went someplace on this one. <laughs> like that Catholic guilt was just like really hardcore. I don't remember any of the music from Batman Forever. <gasps> Bite your tongue. I really don't. That song was awkward because the end of the song is literally him just coming. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm sorry, reaching climax. We're adults here. <laughs> giggling, giggling, giggling. <laughs> I li- like I said, I like the the guitar and the synth in Hella Good. I like the drums in Hella Good. I think the music from Hella Good is <laughs> Hella Good. Um <laughs> <laughs> I hate the lyrics and they overproduce her vocals to a point where she is really annoying to listen to on it. And that sucks because Gwen Stefani has a really good voice. Right. But this album also has at least 500 producers. Yes. So of the 500, who actually produced Hella Good? It was either this one or Hey Baby that was produced by the Neptunes. What? Yeah. Now I know good goddamn well, really, Pharrell and Chad Hugo are way better than either of those songs are. Um, wicka wicka what? Wikipedia. <laughs> Is that the review? <laughs> that was me. Just now. <laughs> Sorry, could I be like their new like slogan? Wicka wicka what? Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, Hella Good was produced. No, um, Hella Good was written by Gwen and Tony and the Neptunes. It was produced by Nellie Hooper. We're talking, like, Nellie Hooper, like, sneaker films, Nellie Hooper. Yes. Like, why isn't Nellie Hooper more, like, I feel like time was very unfair to Nellie Hooper as a producer. Because, I mean, Massive Attack and, like, Bjork and I think he even did some Madonna stuff. Oh, I'm sitting here. I, I like, panicked internally because I saw that he did some stuff for Garbage. And I was like, what? What stuff? <laughs> So I'm like scrolling through here. He did a uh, number one crush remix. That is. Oh, that's it. That's all he did. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, that's all you need to do. Number one. Cr- like that song to a very impressionable middle schooler. Um, Yeah, that's a that's a whole other podcast. I don't know if we could talk about that here. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, the Neptunes. Neptunes. What's hmm. strange is like you have the Neptunes there. Like, why not have them? produce on that track they didn't produce anything off this album they just were there to write that one song and that's it this is what 2001 2002 2001 neptunes were a thing so pretty much anybody who was able to get a hold of the neptunes they were like hey can you work on this stuff with us i'm like i'm a little busy but we could pencil some time in where i feel like it was probably like pharrell's like look i'm gonna go try out these hats that i want to wear Chad, you write this song. And it's like, I kind of don't want to. And it's like, look, 
We're the fucking Neptunes. We're awesome. So please go ahead and write this stuff. And they're like, okay. And of course he goes to Quinn and Tony. He's like, hey, so what do you guys got? And he's like, all right, and hands him over the layer sheet. And he's like, mm, all right, let me help you out here. I'm going to add a comma here. So it's feeling hella good, comma. So let's just keep on dancing. Chad Hugo out. And then he like ascends. <laughs> On, like, a floating turntable, and he just, like, disappears into the ether. And everybody's like, man, that dude's magical as fuck. <laughs> All right, we were blessed by the Neptunes. Let's get this track on wax. Let's go. He literally just came in there and, like, corrected some grammar and bounced. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like, not to say that there are some Neptunes tracks that make you go, wait, what? <laughs> For real. Because, I mean, again, this is during their height. Like, they could have done anything. They could have done, like, the Mount Airy Lodge jingle. And, like, turned it into, like, a club banger. <laughs> oh, my God, the Neptunes. Oh, man, never change, guys. Actually, this is kind of getting strangely dark. <laughs> this is so on brand for us. <laughs> um, Hey Baby is the first of, like, five or six songs off this album that have the same problem for me. In which you have Adrian Young as a drummer, and yet you use a fucking drum machine. He's such a great drummer. He's so good. Like, and I think we had this discussion once before about why I love Six Feet Underground. Mm -hmm. Because the opening drum fill is amazing. He's so good. So damn good. So why are we using drum machines for this album? I... Like, do they... They do realize that, like, reggae is actually played with, like, real drums, right? I don't know that anyone told them. At least half this album has drum machines. Like, 88% of it. And I hate it. I had the same problem with the second Fun album when they like made that like indie shit and sold out and got super famous. I strangely do defend that album though. It's really good. It would be so much better if they'd had someone drum on it, and that might be a, just a personal taste thing. But I I don't love drum machines in this album. I don't love drum machines on a lot of things. I don't mind drum machines. It just has to make sense for what you're doing. I have a lot of notes about Hey Baby being super boring. Musicality, boring. Chorus, boring. Lyrics, boring. Bounty Killer, fine. <laughs> Next song. <laughs> <laughs> In case you were wondering where we felt about Bounty Killer. <laughs> In case this whole podcast hinged on... Like, people are really like, all right, we need to know what's going on with Bounty Killer. Like, yeah, your name, come on. Fine. Bounty Killer. All right, I just want to go on record and say I'm actually totally cool with all of the guest stars in this album. Yes. They put in good, solid work that they did not have to, that I feel like it's a thankless role. Yes. The next song is Making Out, which I did not remember at all. It's got Gwen Stefani doing that, like, Blondie-style rapping. That I also oh, hate. She raptured it. <laughs> it's, yeah, but like, whereas Rapture is great, uh, this is super not. See, Rapture is just great because even with the awkward rapping, it's a groovy as shit song. Yeah. I had a question. Mm -hmm. I actually like wrote it down because I meant to ask you. So I'm not super familiar with this type of, like the dance hall style of music. Is it a normal thing for it to be so sort of, like, instrumentally boring? No. 
Not in the least bit. Okay. And someone who's probably like a dancehall purist is probably going to like hit me for saying this, but a lot of club related music tends to be repetitive only because it's like, you know, if you're kind of grooving on one part, you don't want to start switching it up and going through like progressive rock style movements and throwing off vibes because DJs can get killed at shows by fucking up the transitions. I'm not saying literally killed, but, like, you can get booed, <laughs> maybe get something thrown at you, and you don't want to be known as a DJ who sucks. But dance hall is not repetitive. It was just a thing that I noticed in a lot of these songs that I never had a complaint with, as far as No Doubt is concerned, where the instrumentation is super thin, where it's just, like, there's a basic beat, and then you have either a guitar line or a bass line, and then some random, like, bleeps and bloops thrown over it. And there's your song. There you go. That's, like, half of this album. Yeah, and I think that's kind of what bummed me out. Like, I made the joke earlier is they traveled to all these different places and worked with the people that... And they're not the first band to do this by any means. No. So, this is not me trying to, like, crap on No Doubt, but... Even if, let's say, for instance, they're like, all right, so we're going to hang out in Jamaica real quick and do some reggae-style tracks, but then we're going to go to, I don't know, Paris or London and do some, like, Europop kind of stuff. Like, if the album was framed as such, like, we're just going to go to Jamaica, we're going to go to, you know, the UK, we're going to go to Australia, wherever the case may be, and whatever the style of music they're into over there, like, club music. So, if no doubt, basically, we're like... This is just a series of, like, international club bangers. If they really went all out, it'd be kind of cool. Right. There's so many people involved in this. Nelly Hooper, No Doubt, Rick Ocasek, uh, from the Cars, William Orbit, Prince! Prince! <laughs> Prince! Okay, so Prince actually sings the on artist. that song. It's Waiting Room. And literally, my notes are... There's a dude singing in the background who sounds like Prince. I want his album. And then I went and looked it up and it was Prince. <laughs> How did you get Prince and still... And you know Prince. Prince was not... Rest his soul, by the way. Right. Like, Prince was very shrewd when it came to who he would lend his support to, his blessing to. You know, and there's a reason why even... Like, it was hard to find his music unless you went and got it directly from him. Right. Very image conscious, very did not want to put his name on a bunch of stuff. So, like, when I found out that Prince not only gave his blessing, but helped co-write albums on Dirty Computer, uh, Janelle Monáe's album, mm -hmm. that's like, oh my god, that makes so much sense. And I almost kind of welled up because I'm like, if anybody deserved to have that Prince stamp, it's Janelle Monáe. How did No Doubt get it? <laughs> He must not have <laughs> like, had much going on in the year 2000. Now, don't get me wrong. Gwen Stefani, at her best, is dynamite. I love her. But this just felt like this could have been so much better than it was. And I almost want to just blame Gavin Rossdale. <laughs> well, from a lyrical standpoint, so much of this album is about him and the fact that at this point, it was a long distance relationship and she was feeling emo about it. But instead of writing like badass emo songs, it was like shitty dance hall tracks that I don't like. <laughs> and I think a lot of it too was just, it felt like the rest of the band was barely involved. As they begin to lean more heavily on electronica and drum machines and that sort of thing, like those guys become unnecessary. It's like the worst of this album. If you took everything that's bad about this album and distilled it, it's her solo stuff. I just can't. 
So let's see. Los Angeles, England, San Francisco, Los Angeles again, Port Antonio, Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, back to Los Angeles, Chanhassen, Minnesota, which, wait, that might be Prince. That was with Prince. Because I'm like, all right, we're in London, we're in San Francisco, and now we're in Minnesota, and I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) Prince said, bitch, you come to my house, and they went to his house. (laughs) (laughs) Since probably Prince was like, look, if you guys could fly out here, (laughs) I got the space in the house for you guys to chill out, but just don't touch anything, please. (laughs) Like, I feel like if you visited Prince's house, it'd be like when Thor went to go see Doctor Strange, and he just floats into the room. (laughs) (laughs) you know prince made them come out in like january like (laughs) you just spent the last like four months in jamaica getting tan and drinking beer and being warm like bitch put a cone on roll up (laughs) (laughs) and i can just imagine like i said i don't know why everything is an infinity war reference to me but like when they go to wakanda and it's like gosh are we supposed to bow it's like yeah he's a king like (laughs) yeah there's just so much going on with it and i think if nothing else i'll take the drum machines i'll take the weird dance hall i just think it's the lack of cohesion and something i've also learned is that song placement will really screw up an album or make it great that is a hill that i will fucking die on i've had this argument with so many fucking people (laughs) um (laughs) that insist that like track placement is not important that it doesn't matter. And it does. I don't necessarily know how I would organize this album. I'm sure if I sat down with it long enough, I could figure it out. I mean, track seven or eight through the end of it is just awful. It feels never ending. Maybe rearrange the tracks, omit some of the filler ones. Like Detective, you don't need Detective. So you remember Staring Problem. From Return of Saturn, yes? Right, which is one of the songs that I remember defending and you were not a fan of. But I don't know what it is about that song. I dig it. Detective feels like a sequel to Staring Problem. You shut your mouth. That is blasphemy. (laughs) I will not have it. (laughs) Listen to Staring Problem and then listen to Detective. And then come back and we'll talk about it. So I only... I didn't write that many notes about Detective, actually. Except for... That it feels like a a sequel to Staring Problem, and that it feels almost like a prequel to Hollaback Girl a little bit. Oh, so you've got like a No Doubt trilogy. You got like a whole like storyline here. Like Hollaback Girl is mostly like just tonally and like musically in that I hate it. (laughs) Um, But the next song I really like, the couple of songs on this album that are trying to sound super new wave on purpose, I enjoy. If you're going, like, the trajectory that maybe is a little obvious, but the one that kind of makes most sense, taking, like, parts of Tragic Kingdom and then Return of Saturn, which a lot of that start to lean a little bit, a little new wave, mm-hmm. kind of played around with some synths and keyboards and such, and even just some guitar tones that felt, like, Return of Saturn, like, it's very much like an early 2000s album, but it still holds up. So you would think that the next album would be them doubling down on the new wave, which for a band like No Doubt would actually be really cool. So if you get someone like Rick Ocasek, which makes sense because, you know, you, you'd figure that'd be your, your guy to go to. Maybe even the Neptunes if they want to stay current. You know what I mean? Like kind of still playing in that wheelhouse. 
there's a way to do modern new wave and have it be really cool. And I think Don't Let Me Down and to a lesser extent, Platinum Blonde Life do that. Don't Let Me Down is actually not a bad track at all. I like that one a lot. It it ends up being, I think, my favorite song on this album. It is actually surprisingly good. It reminds me a lot of Missing Persons, who is a band that I enjoy. Again, uh, one of the songs that has live drumming on it, and Adrian is great. He's so good. We're going to redo Rocksteady. Um, Too Late is the last track off Return of Saturn, right? They end that album with an instrumental version of Too Late, which is gorgeous. So you pop in the next album, and you start with Don't Let Me Down. Now you're back on solid footing. Right. That would be a killer song to open with. And I'm not saying that you have to, that they have to embrace that sound moving forward. Even if that was just like a one album project, like this would be a fun thing to do for a little bit. It made sense in their trajectory. Start the Fire sounds like music from Crash Bandicoot. (laughs) My final note on Start the Fire is the song only has merit if the music video is Cortex Crash and the polar bear dancing like the Ally McBeal baby. Oh my gentle Jesus, that is some <laughs> 90s ass imagery. You are welcome. Oh, my eyes. <laughs> you are welcome. The goggles do nothing. <laughs> Real talk, though. I think the dance hall, like the reggae Jamaica infused tracks, mm-hmm. feel very disingenuine. Like, it really does feel like someone went on spring break. Got like crazy trashed, mm-hmm. got way too wasted, and basically just decided, well, I'm gonna go nuts. And the locals would be like, look, she's kind of making a scene, but I'm like, hey, look, she's already spent the money, all right? <laughs> <laughs> like, she got the deluxe package. If we kick her out of this resort, we get a very bad review. And we know that her parents are very well connected, they could shut us down. So if she wants to jump in with the band and like try to play along, just let her do it. Because eventually she is going to pass out. We can just call her back to the room. No one has to say anything. We're good. We're fine. Look, eventually she'll tire herself out. And just every time someone kind of just props her up, you know, she comes right back. Like, I want to party some more. It's like, no, 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 stop. I have a question. And it might be too heavy. No, ask it anyway. Um, We're friends. Six years. Let's go. So... At the end of this album, I sat there and was thinking about it. And I kept kind of coming back to this thought where I couldn't figure out if this album was trying to uplift this Jamaican dancehall music or if it was trying to whitewash it. I actually had the same thought and I was really starting to wonder the same thing. That's a question I always ask, especially when it comes to, like, third wave ska. Yes. And that's something that maybe we may have to revisit because, again, I love me some third wave ska. But by the same token, I look back at some of that now, and it sounds fun. It sounds great. But some of that, maybe in 2019, don't roll as easily. I don't know that I have an answer. Like, there's no definitive, but there's parts of this album where I would say yes and I'd say no. Like, okay, Underneath It All is a nice pop song that you could play on the radio, fairly inoffensive. It's got a little bit of, like, the dub reggae undertones. Lady Saw is the best part of that song. Yes. But, <laughs> speaking of Lady Saw, and again, this is why I freaking love you. It brought me back to Sugar Ray, to Fly, which 
you know, Sugar Ray was another band that delved a lot into that. Yeah. And especially in um, Florida and in 1459, there's a lot of reggae-infused tracks. But I remember with Fly, they would not actually play the reggae bridge no. on, like, local, like, Top 40 radio. And to me, that's, like, that's the best part of the song. Like, when Supercat, when he starts going off, I'm like, this is the best part of the song. I felt like it was... It would defend us whiteies. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> but no, but that's exactly it. One of the local radio stations, 95.5, one of their slogans was, today's best music without the rap. What? I am not joking. I am being completely honest. That is, That was one of their slogans was, today's best music without the rap. Which essentially, wow. you're just, you know exactly what they meant. Yeah. Because remember, by the time you get to like the late 90s, early 2000s, a lot of top 40 music was starting to be infused with a lot of hip-hop. But that was the thing that was made. And any time there was any song, like, I'm surprised songs from Rocksteady actually got played on top 40. Because a lot of the stations, any time, like, when Lady saw her portion of the song, would be cut. We play it in our, like, the story I work in, that song gets played a lot. Not Lady Saw's part. Because all the radio edit is essentially, yeah, can we not, put, like, I like the song, but can you not put... The black people in it, thanks. That'd be great. Love you. Bye. It would be a whole other animal if Lady Saw and Bounty Killer were screaming obscenities or were talking about smoking weed or whatever. Like, then I could understand. I wouldn't agree with it, but then I could understand to a point why you would cut around some of that stuff. Yeah, but sting on the police to get to sing about stalking and basically having sex with uh, underage school students, so... But yeah, that gets played on Top 40 Radio, but yet somehow this this reggae verse that's totally innocuous. Nope, can't have that. Yeah, I'm sorry, I got real spicy for a second. <laughs> I apologize I on behalf of white people. No, I'm not apologizing for shit. I am. But... <laughs> I can't speak for all of us, no. but I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's something that happens a lot, maybe in the back of my head. That's not the sole reason why I dislike this album. But I think it's one of those things that when you're playing in someone else's sandbox, especially when it comes to culturally, like the one song that I think irks me the most in this album was Start the Fire. Yes. Oh, yeah. To me, that's the answer to the question you asked. To other people, like, and this is something like when it comes to music, while I do feel it is universal and it's great that like bands from all these different countries can tour in other places where they may not even speak the language or know the culture, but you can still have a good time with the music. But certain things aren't just sounds or affectations. Like it, There's a cultural meaning behind some of it. But there's parts of the song where it just felt like the suburban girl wearing the headdress at a music festival. Or it's like you're kind of dabbling in something that, you know, it may sound pleasant to you, but there's a little bit more behind it than I think you realize. And you may not intend to be offensive. And it's maybe not necessarily the worst thing that anyone's ever done, but it does make people kind of side-eye you a little bit. And maybe the fact that we both sort of came to this question as to whether or not this was something that may have been intentional is enough of an answer to that question. Right, because it's the first time that I think as a No Doubt fan, at least at the time that it came out going, something's not gelling here. And it's something that they've done in the past. To an extent, but not to this level. And this is from coming from someone who listened to a lot of 311. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Amber is the color of your energy. 
311, I guess I I never smoked enough weed or I didn't smoke the right kind of weed because that is not my jam. <laughs> no, I'm. that is definitely a podcast that we meant to do of how much I was a big fan of it. But then looking back, now being older and potentially wiser, there are definitely songs where Nick Hexum was definitely putting on the Jamaican accent out of nowhere. And where are they from? They're from California, right? Omaha, Nebraska. What? Oh, that's even worse. Um, cool. They're all from Nebraska, maybe different parts, but I know, like, what's the, the rapper to where he's like, oh, rude boy from Omaha, Nebraska, because I'm like, no one rips Nebraska this hard. No. <laughs> um, yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> that's all. <laughs> My astute <laughs> professional opinion, yikes. <laughs> yeah and it wasn't enough to sink no doubt and it definitely wasn't like a oh you're dead to me but it definitely was a little awkward so it was like okay less of this and i'm gonna just go back to listen to the albums that i do enjoy so then i don't know how long after this did stefani go solo is 2004 yeah i think that was when the, the her first album came out yeah it was a thing i didn't buy it um I like casually heard I'm I'm assuming Hollaback Girl was the first single. I think so. Heard that, hated it, and never really checked back in until the Talk Talk cover from No Doubt. I did not investigate any of her solo stuff any further. The solo stuff was definitely for somebody. I don't think it was for me. And sometimes I feel like that's okay to admit that certain things you're just not gonna be into, you tried. But the solo stuff, it just, it was missing the parts of No Doubt in which I loved, which was the rest of the band. Because as much as it was definitely awkward, to me, they were always better together than apart. You know, when you're coming off of um, Return of Saturn, which was very, like, there are some songs on that that I don't know if I would ever have had the balls to write. She gets to a point of being very honest lyrically, and it's great. In doing a little bit of research on this album, finding out that her writing process was completely different and very rushed for this album makes a lot of sense. Apparently for Tragic Kingdom and Return to Saturn, like, read a lot of, like, Sylvia Plath and, like, got herself into a very specific headspace. And this album was just sort of like, I don't know, drink some beer, write some shit. To be fair, though, having written two very deeply confessional albums, I wouldn't necessarily take anyone to task for wanting to sort of come up for error. For sure. It made me think of, and I'm not really comparing these two albums at all, aside from this very specific thought process, Beautiful Garbage. Shirley wrote two very autobiographical albums dealing with a lot of super heavy shit and beautiful garbage has a little bit of that but it's a lot lighter in tone they're not the same but in this one sort of instance where you had two women sort of laying everything out on the line and just needing to sort of come up for air momentarily like that is where the two of these two albums sort of mirror each other slightly Oh, God, I can go on about Beautiful Garbage forever, but maybe we should say that for next time. Yeah. Can that we do is, that? Okay. No, fuck yes! I fucking love Look, that album. 
I fucking love garbage. So like, spoiler alert: garbage. next show is just going to be us squeeing about Shirley Manson for an hour. It's not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> not not a bit like not a big deal at all. Just just a little just a little. Uh, anyway, just, just a little. I'm not going to go a whole lot, but but no, beautiful garbage is an album that. I haven't really listened to hardcore in a long time because shit. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna shut up. You know, when it came out, I thought I hated it because coming off of version 2.0, that's a monster of an album. Anyway, from beginning to end, yeah. like it does not let up for anything. And I have many times completely just ruined phone calls at work because special will start playing, <laughs> and. I just, I can't not sing that song. Like, it's just, like, you gotta. But then, when you get to Beautiful Garbage, it's, de- like, from the production and just the overall packaging, it's a much different album. But it's still fucking brilliant. But, we'll again, we'll get into all that specifically later on. I assure you, next time will be much more uplifting. <laughs> so many squeeze. <laughs> like, we started with the funeral. Like, you know, we, we eulogized hockey mascots. Talked about Gwen's potential cultural appropriation. <laughs> we we man, we went places on this. Alright, so I figured, you know what, this is probably a great place for us to say goodbye to our loyal listeners. Um, I guess this would be the part where we could like plug shit. I don't know if you have anything to plug before we go out. I'm pretty bad at the internet, so aside from Twitter, um Iceberg74, B-U-R-G. It's a pun of my last name. Isn't that funny? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at, I don't even think there's like a handle for this page, but there might be one day. We'll get there. Baby steps. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, but for right now, I'm going to keep on dancing. <laughs> Good night, everybody. I was walking with the ghost.